Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to Crime World. Over Christmas, we're reposting some earlier episodes we made throughout the year. Sandra Collins, Fortish Cross Malina, who went missing on December the 4th, 2000, in Killala. A missing sister, a missing daughter, all together but one. We travel, we search, we pray and cry. No answers, no leads, no reasons why. Years have passed, forever we remember the times we shared before that December. Forever loved and missed by her loving family. Always, Sandra. Always and forever. My name is Patrick Collins and I'm Sandra Collins' brother. My name is Bridie Conway and I'm Sandra Collins' sister. Uh, we're in Killala in County Mayo, um, a small seaside village on the North Atlantic coast. So, small, tiny, picturesque village with approximately 500 people. I'm really selling it, haven't I? <laughs> There's no good here days in the West. No. <laughs> no, it's so exposed here, isn't it? It's yeah. beautiful. It's nice here. It's very picturesque, but it's very... Yeah. And this is June. Imagine it in December. <laughs> I can just... I mean, it was an awful night, wasn't it, as well? Oh, yeah. it was, yeah. It yeah. was a real cold, rough, rough winter's night. About ten yeah. times worse than this time, yeah. you know. Yeah, and pelting rain and... The wind was howling. It's howling now and it's a summer's day. Like, how did she live down here? Do you know that kind of way? How mm. could she for, like, do you know, to pass the time? I'm standing on the pier in Kalala, looking out over the wild Atlantic. It's colder than I would have expected for June, and the wind has taken my hair. As I talk with Bridie and Patrick Collins, where their sister Sandra is remembered, we shiver and we push our hands deeper into our pockets for warmth. 
It's hard to imagine what it would have been like that December night in the year 2000, when Sandra was last seen alive in this town, or how cold it was on this pier where her jacket was later found. Nobody knows for sure how she met her end, but a murder investigation is still open. And as long as they are alive, her brother and sister say they will continue to fight for the truth. In 2014, a local man, Martin Early, walked free from the court after Justice Patrick McCarthy told the jury there was insufficient evidence to convict and directed them to find him not guilty of murder. Early had previously admitted in a statement to having a sexual relationship with Sandra, but he denied killing her. There was a daredevil in her. She'd go to a fun park and she'd be looking up at this thing up in the air and she was saying to me, oh, when it stops now and, and, and uh, they finish up that ride, we'll be on it. And I'd be sitting in the grotto and going, off with you. If you think I'm putting my life up there, you must be joking. I'm standing, putting my feet firmly on the ground. I'd say, no way, Sandra, am I going? And she'd say, oh, you're so lame and you're dry shite. I'm going up. And I'd say, well, you go up when your guts are splattered down. I'd be looking here saying, it's OK, I'm fine. And... I mean, like, up she'd go, like, and she'd be on her own. No one else would go with her, like. Yeah. Up she'd go, and she'd be going around and around, and I'd be oh, my God, my, I'd have to walk away, because I'd be just saying, she'd never get back down again. She'd come down, and she'd say, oh, my God, that was exhilarating. I'd say, I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhilarated here with my feet on the ground, like, yeah. it's fine. She's a sense of adventure. Oh, oh Nicola. Will you go? She'd lose and find me a thousand times over. They lived beside this really old man, like, and he wasn't by any means roadworthy or safe on the road at all. I don't think he'd pass And I was down at home one day and having my lunch and she landed in with him to mum's house and I was like, she, you didn't actually drive from Kalala and the bad road that Kalala is like. So you actually didn't drive down, Sandra, in that car with him. He's fine, he's fine. And I said, again, fine, look at him. And I was like, oh, my, my mother, oh my God. I said, will you have a word with her like? Yeah. She don't listen to me. She got back into the care again. She's like this to me. What's wrong with you? So she did a wild streak. Oh, she did a wild streak, mm. Nicola. Yeah. And then he drove out the gate and up onto the ditch. And my father to get him off the ditch. And I thought, oh my God in heaven, dear, never. And my mother was like, Sandra, ring me when you get home. Ring me when you get home, Sandra, for God's sake. And she said, Joe, she's never going to get home. She's never going to get home. What did she, what was she thinking? I don't know, Enler. And my father was like, trying to get him out of the ditch. And I was like, oh, this is done. And she was like, make sure, Sandra, now you ring me when you get home, please. And she was within in the kitchen. Oh, holy mother of God, pray for... And I was like, I don't know, I'm afraid she'll need, she'll need more than that, I'm afraid, to get to Kalala. Well, she got down and she, she rang and, and she, she said, now I told you, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Aren't we all sound and safe home? He was the new chauffeur from then on. He was, yeah. <laughs> so, what age was she again when she came living here? She was 15, wasn't she? Uh, when did they move? They moved here in, De- in December, like November 1988, so she was 16, was 16. it? Yeah, 16, yeah. You told me before, you stayed for a night, did you? With your aunt? Yeah, I stayed one night. And you were young? I was young. I was four years younger than her. So I'd have been 12. Yeah, I came down one night and... No, what's the name living in Balna? Oh, it was in Balna. Yeah, she was in a flat in Balna. She was up um, by the train station there. And we went in and uh, her and her boyfriend and me and she said she needed somebody for the summer to look after her. Like So we all sat round and God, it was a bit like the Waltons when you think back on it. Like We all sat round. Who'd go? And 
I said, oh, I'll go in for a while, like, with her. I didn't like her, like, I never liked her. But I said, I'll go in for a while for mum's sake, like, and I still stay with her for a few weeks. She's your mum's sister? Dad's sister. Your dad's sister. Yeah. My mum was saying, oh, go in, Brady. Some of you go in now for a while with her. So I went in with her anyway. I still go for a few weeks and then I'll come back out and then somebody else will take over. I must spend the whole summer inside with her. So I went in anyway and we were walking into the, went into the flat anyway and it was in a basement. Oh, I said, I'm not waiting here. I said, I'll stay tonight and that's it. You have me for tonight. And I said, if I survive tonight, I'm out of here tomorrow. And she said, well, you won't. Your mother said you're waiting. And I said, well, if I have to walk home. You see, I was more... Sandra was brave in some ways. And then she was foolish in others. Whereas I was stronger in other ways and more foolish maybe in other ways. But I said, no. I said, and if you brought me in, and I said, you bring me back out again. And I said, if you don't, I'll walk home. But I said, you're having me no more than one night in this place. If you want to wait, I said, you can, but I'm not waiting. I never slip a wink. And what did you have to do for her, Brady, at that stage? You'd have to get up in the morning and you'd have to... Like, she was able to get out of bed herself, like, but you'd have to make her bed for her and you'd have to get her all her tablets and give them to her. Like, she played the victim an awful lot. She was well able to do an awful lot more than she portrayed. Like, she just wanted somebody with her. She She was. She wanted attention all the time. She craved attention, like... And we, I knew fine well that she was well able to do more than she'd be doing, but she'd put on the show then when she'd be around her mum and dad, oh, I'm so bad now on my knees and I'm buckled up in my hands and saying, yeah, your head isn't buckled up, unfortunately. Mm. But um, I knew she was nasty, like, and she had a nasty streak in her. She was never happy for anyone that was succeeding or anyone that was doing well for themselves. She'd always a bad... Jealous, like. Bad old mm. thing to say, like. yeah. So I came home anyway, and I said, well, I'm done anyway. Whoever else now was going, I said, but I'm done. I'm not going in again, ma'am. And she said, you are? And I said, no. So then I don't know, did Sandra go in then to her? Sandra went in then, I think, yeah. To the flat. Shortly after Sandra, still a teenager, moved in with her aunt, Anne O'Grady, they moved to a council house in Kalala. I visited the house some years ago, and I was shocked by how small it was. Just one bedroom kitchen and a tiny backyard with barely enough space to hang out the washing. Sandra would live there with her aunt until her disappearance. In 1998, aged 26, Sandra became pregnant. I suppose you probably thought, Nicola, that a baby coming into the house, it'd soften Anne up a bit or bring out, you know, Mm. something more more in her like but as the, the weeks were going by like I suppose she just she said to me she's given out like when the baby is crying and she's you know she didn't sign up for this and I said sure leave her there to hell mm. leave her there to hell I said and come up like the, the amount of times Nicola I asked her mm. before begged her, even before she had yeah. the baby like to yeah. leave Anne and come back up but she she had her just She'd her manipulated, she'd her brainwashed, she had her under control, she couldn't, like God knows what she was saying to her. We actually got some of her belongings back after 15 years. Now, bits that they didn't need or they didn't, you know, they didn't no longer have use for. And there was tapes and there was saw doctor tapes and there was uh, take that tapes and CDs and there was pictures and um, a Bible and stuck within in the Bible was this photograph of her scan her first scan, her first and only scan with the baby. And it was a prayer that she probably said every night, and it was a prayer for expectant mothers to have a healthy baby. 
and I looked at the date and it was sometime in May or June of 98 and I thought in my mind you would have gone up there now on your own probably on the bus you'd have gone in there and seen all the mums with the husbands and the hubbies and that them holding their hands and she'd have gone in on her own had to have had the scan come home clutching that picture and then be praying that prayer every night I'm sure she probably said it beforehand but I just thought it was so poignant it was stuck within the scan photograph was stuck within on the the prayer book and then there was a card it was a get well card and it said Anne was in hospital and it said to Anne um, wishing you a speedy recovery lots of love always Sandra and I thought me went oh there you go there you go lots of love always and it wasn't reciprocated was it in my own mind you know, Do you think Sandra felt a sense of responsibility I to her? She so. probably told her she'd nobody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or she'd have laid it on thick and heavy, like, poor me, and if you leave me now, and sure as we said, God knows what she said to her, she might have said, oh, I'll do anything to myself if God you leave knows. me, or, yeah. you know. Yeah. I suppose so she put the emotional yeah. pressure on Sandra, and Sandra wasn't able for her. She wasn't strong enough that way. She was too soft. Yeah. She was too soft, whereas I tell her, off with you. Mm. Emo- Good luck to you. Emotionally, she wasn't able to no. cope with it, you say. She mm. wouldn't be able to... You know, and I suppose you hear about people like couples and they say, oh, a baby will fix the marriage or whatever the case may be. Maybe she thought a baby would be just what the doctor ordered in as regards it. In their fi- circumstances. Yeah, it would be just wonderful mm-hmm. and they'd raise it. And she'd, which um, I think Anne was jealous as well because she was married herself, you see, and it went pear-shaped because she got sick and she couldn't have children. She had loads of miscarriages. So how could, how dare, how dare Sandra? have a baby yeah. just who did she think she was yeah. to have a baby so then Sandra made so the decision being... that no mm-hmm. trust in the right place trust in the right environment so she gave the baby up for adoption yeah. she to took be, her then and she gave her away to be too toxic like yeah. that's exactly what she said she deserves to have a mother and what was she like when she came back then did she just accept her lot that this was it it was her and Anne I think so Nicola yeah yeah and she was so young she was what 26 when she had her yeah and then um, I only found out then, like, a couple of years ago, really, uh, her friends told me that before she had her adopted life, that she would walk to the house where the woman that was minding her... Foster she was in foster, yeah. And um, she'd stand on the road, and the woman would bring her to the window just to get a glimpse of her every single day after dinner, after she'd given Anne her dinner. So that was her jaunt out the Balnair Road. She'd call for her friends and they would go and she would stand for ages on the road. Hail, rain, snow, wind, whatever. It didn't matter until she got a glimpse of her. And then when she'd go to Balna, she'd buy her a little gift and um, she would get the best friend to go to the road because Sandra wasn't allowed to give the little gift to the woman that was minding the baby like mm-hmm. until the adoptive parents got her. So I don't know, I can't imagine. I, I just, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine how she felt or how hard it was to come to that realisation I have to do this and not wanting to do it mm. but just thinking to herself if I don't do it then it's really selfless it's selfless in any walk shape or life but to think like that you know she did it you know for somebody that didn't deserve it that's the bottom line mm. and to be honest Nicola for a long time after it happened there was a lot of mixed emotions, like with the whole lot of us, you know. I won't deny it. I won't sugarcoat it for a long time afterwards. Nicola was frosty between me and her. Because to me, I couldn't understand it. I mean, I, I just couldn't. I just said to myself, you know, I had no kids at the time. 
myself like but I when I have them now even now and I, and I hate to say it like but if I had to I don't know live in a tent I wouldn't be without them do you know what I mean and I couldn't understand how she could just give yeah. her up she must have been feeling very bad about herself that she did that. I'd say so, Nicola, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I think and she looking back on it, I feel bad about it because I probably wasn't... The sympathy or the empathy didn't come from me, as it should have done, but... I suppose you can't help how you feel either, like... I think she probably yeah. felt bad, but she probably felt a huge relief in that she was going to be getting the things that Sandra couldn't provide for her, like a proper mum and a dad a proper education, holidays, things that people, like, she could, what would, in all retrospect, like, what would she provide for her on carer's allowance in reality? And it's not about money and it's not about material things. But looking back, I think maybe that maybe could be the only comfort in the two years and two months after she lived, after she had her, that, you know, something I have given her every single thing that I wanted her to have and I cannot have. What sort of a life would she have oh, had so here in Oh, she'd have Kalala? had nothing. She'd have had nothing. Mm. No. Absolutely nothing, no. And, and I'm not being disrespectful with the people that Sandra, as the years have gone on and we've found out more, because we didn't, we didn't really know. Sandra came up on a Sunday night and mm. we spent maybe two, three hours together. And that was it. She came home, she came back down here again and we weren't here from her maybe have a phone call during the week with her but you wouldn't see her again until the following Sunday night and I wouldn't see her as regularly as they were because I was working and me and Michael might have been gone doing things on Sundays or whatever and I wouldn't have been always at home on a Sunday even so you wouldn't really know but down through the years like you know even the people that she was palling with down here no disrespect meant to them like but you know it's kind of it's a bit septic the whole place is a bit septic. God think forgive you, me. You drive out of Dublin, it's been such a long year not doing that, and you're kind of coming out here in a sense of, oh, the yeah. West. And it's like, you know, it's idyllic looking, and it's just gorgeous, and it's to me it's sort of ice creams and oh. no, summer's yeah, days. But mm. if you there's, there's a different side to it too, Nicola. There's a dark side to it. Yeah. It has... A d- like, if you scratch the surface, you'll find an awful lot deeper. Always down through the years when I came down here, long before Anthony ever happened, Sandra, when I'd come down here on holidays or whatever with her, like when we were younger, I always got the sense when I came down, oh, God, I cannot wait for the time to be over till I can get out of it again. Just got this vibe off of that it was just not a nice place. Mm. And to this day, I still have it, like... And is that sort of that there's a sense of hopelessness here or something or is it you just have this dark feeling about it because you had a foreboding maybe? I don't know. I suppose maybe I was... I always thought that Sandra could end up... could have done better for herself. Do you know what I mean? That that she wasn't... here wasn't where she should be. You know, that kind of way. I knew that for a fact, like. So I suppose I was against it from that side, like. But as I said... So for a young girl, you mean that she, there was nobody for her? There oh, there was, was no... nobody for her, like, no, 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 no. And there was no, no, there was no solid friends. I can't believe how kind of callous they are down here about her. 
They never mm. made contact with us. They never messaged us on Facebook. They never said they're thinking of us. I think that was the age that she came into the community. <laughs> that she was 16. She was mm. a difficult mm. age maybe to settle down, make friend, make proper friends. And But she always said it. She said, um, I'm in it, but I'm not in it, in it. So she was an outsider here? Yeah. 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 She, was she always felt she was an outsider. She was yeah. on the outskirts looking in. And she was from 10 miles away? Yeah. But she was a blow-in? Mm. Yeah. The people that she palled with, that she thought were her friends, they weren't. And of course, there was a big age gap as well. I think there's about 10 years between some of them. Mm. Like, so when she was 28, well, 26, 27, they were 17, 18. You know, she didn't have mm. friends mm. of her own age group that she could confide in. She didn't and go to school here, you see. She yeah. didn't yeah. grow up here. She can go to discos or anything like that here, like. So it would have been impossible for her to hook up with somebody. And I suppose if she probably was so desperate that when somebody did become friends with her, you know, she was delighted. It didn't matter who they were. Mm -hmm. She was probably very, very lonely. Lonely. And you're vulnerable when you're lonely. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose I'm going back maybe, what, 30 years ago now. Like, there was no internet. There was... There was, there was a telephone, if you were lucky. If you were there lucky. There was no, many no mobiles. mobiles. There was none, really. Yeah. I mean, she was very isolated as well. Yeah. Taxis were few and far between. Do you know what I mean? So, if there was something wrong, you know, how was she going to get across the line or where would she go? And money was, you know, it was a different era. It was a different time. And even the 90s, up until when she went missing, I think for her to have a baby out of wedlock, even at that stage, would have seen as being a bit of a, oh, no, 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 shame on you. That's 98. There was that still that slight stigma and, you know, attached and that nasty classification, you know, and that's... Narrow-mindedness. Exactly, yeah, yeah, 23 years ago. So I do feel like she was isolated and if anybody showed her a small bit of attention. She jumped on she it. She jumped on it because she was just so, so lonely mm. and her life was just so miserable that if she got half an hour of happiness with somebody, then you know what, it'll carry me through till tomorrow. And like everyone down here that I've ever spoken to or that have said anything about her to me has said, oh, how nice she was and how kind she was and that no one can ever say a bad word about her. But the also side of it was... Oh, she was very quiet, very quiet. She never spoke, so, so shy. So maybe she was so shy like that, that was probably seen as a vulnerability by some people that preyed on it. See, she never had a job. She went to national school, she never went to secondary school. So she missed out on all that camaraderie and, you know, building you up. And, you know, I see it with my own kids now the friends and the, the fall-ins and the fall-outs and the, you have to toughen up and you have to, you know and it, it builds people and then she never held down a job she didn't know what it was to be part of a, a working team or a working environment let it be good or bad everybody doesn't get on all the time but like she had none of that in her life she never knew what it was to get a salary to have a wage no so she was and it wasn't through her own choice. No. It was all, it was all, all dictated to her. her. Yeah, which is the sad part about it. Like, Sandra Collins was last seen in Kalala on December fourth, two thousand, when she bought two bags of chips in the local chipper at around eleven fifteen p.m. 
Earlier that day, she'd gone to her GP who'd confirmed that she was pregnant. And she'd been seen in a kiosk in angry conversation with somebody on the phone. Five days after she was last sighted in Kalala, her fleece jacket was found on the pier. In the pockets, there was a packet of sausages and two wet pieces of paper with phone numbers on them. One was Martin Early's number. The second was for an abortion clinic in the UK. Do you be dreading it like a day like today when you have to bring it all back up again? I kind of do, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I kind of dread it for, not so much for myself, Nicola, but for my own children, like, mm. do you know what I mean? They're trying to live their lives, like, and they're very, very good now, and they're very supportive, like, and they have no emotional ties to Sandra because they didn't know her, and I don't expect them to. But they have empathy and sympathy for me mm. with the story, like, but I have empathy and sympathy back then for them, with them trying to live their own lives, and, you know, they don't want to be different, they don't want to be the girls with the missing aunt and you know that kind of a way mm-hmm. but as I've explained it to them and they've said it to me they've said it's just the way it is mum yeah. and it's who you are and we wouldn't swap you <laughs> we wouldn't swap you because of Sandra like it's who what you are and it's the, it's the baggage that you have but sure I suppose other people have other baggage like mm. and the sad part of it all is it's just to get her back like yeah. it's not the justification even though we'd love to see whoever done her wrong get their own comings up like but it's not even about that now at this stage we're so exhausted with it so emotionally physically everything drained with it that it's just finality that's what it's all about like getting Sandra back and putting her in the grave and being able to say you're home Mm. and then carry on ourselves then like have this weight lifted off the shoulders and say we're free of it like I know I know full well the night that daddy died she was definitely stood at the bottom of the bed with James and Mammy, welcoming him. Mm. And the gates were flung open for him as well as for her. But that's the only saving grace that we have, that we feel that there is a heaven and there is a place after this, after we leave here. And they're together. And that they're together, yeah. yeah. That's the only thing now that will keep you they're sane, together. like, yeah, and that you know. Yeah, exactly. And that there will be, there'll be, you know, people go on about justice. It really doesn't make any difference to me or to Bridie or to Davy or to Mary or to anyone whether the person that's responsible is above a Mountjoy or they're beyond a beach in Florida. It doesn't really matter where they are, what they're doing, whether they're a millionaire, a pauper in a tent. Mm. As long as we get her back and that's the end of it then for us, then we can close that chapter and go, well, we've got another couple of years, please God, of decent living and then it's done and then we can go to our graves with the peace and the knowledge that it's done. You know what I mean? And a couple of weeks ago, um, we were out walking the dog and I got a phone call from the Garthi and um, just checking in. And then the head said, he said to me, just to let you know that they found a body in Kalala. And I was like, all right, OK. And then he goes in the next breath, but it's not Sandra. And I went, all right. And it was the first time, Nicola, in 21, 20 and a half years nearly, that I had got that phone call or we had got that phone call. And I went, oh, sugar. Well, no, sugar wasn't exactly the word I said, but when I went home, I started to think, oh my God, like we were, you know, how would I feel? It was a kind of a taster, a, tangi- a taster for that, that, that magical phone call. Mm. I thought to myself, how did somebody bury her? How did they bury her, Sandra? Like, this is a human being. You know, I don't believe that it was like... You nearly think they'd want nerves of steel. Like, how did their stomach 
coat put it and then to take off her coat like and to place it here to make it look like she tried to kill herself like when they were touching you were you cold had you gone hard days and weeks afterwards like how they lived yeah where did they when they, they went to bed at, at night, night and, and they closed their eyes and go did they not see them going what did they wrap you in you know like and I I, I started thinking about all this I started thinking my god like how did she actually function because you know I know we were only burying a cat, like, but I was comparing the two scenarios. But, like, it was just horrendous. And I was thinking, you were talking about a human being, not a, another... Like, an animal is more... And they are, like, for some, and I agree, they're, like, part of the family, and they are. Mm. Um, but, like, you know, for a human being to kill somebody else and then... To, deliberately then go and say that's horrendous in itself but to take somebody's body whether she's cold or he's cold or hard or you know what I mean I don't understand how they'd ration- how they'd bury them and they'd walk yeah. away yeah and rationalise it then like and function and eat and go to sleep and shave and shower and that they wouldn't go oh bang she did you'd, you'd have a flashback of her lifeless body in your fi- you know mm. or her eyes did they close her eyes? You know, stupid little things like that. Like, you know, I mean, this is her community. and This is where it happened. Like, evil came to this place on that night. And, like, why... You, you know, you watch films and you watch television series and you see something like this happening and you're going, oh, you're willing the people to stand up against the one person or whatever the case may be, or, you know, against whatever it is. And you're thinking, come on, come on, come on. And eventually, somebody does grow a backbone and they stand up and the next thing, they all stand together. And then when they do, it's the end of it or it's the... That's it then, like, you know, they can... You know, the wrongs then are put finally put to right. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, well, why can't they do that in Kalala? Why can't they come forward? I suppose, understandably, I suppose part of me does understand it because I... be this fear and there's loyalty. This fear, loyalty and... You know, I get it. I really do. Believe it or not, as strange as it sounds, you know, you know, if you're in fear and your life, I mean, if you're married and you've got a couple of kids, you know, how can you logically and justifiably say, excuse me, justifiably say, I, I want, I'll help and put my own family at risk. So... But when, I don't know if there's a sense, too, of people really don't care. Mm. That some people don't care, Nicola. It's not at their door. They're not lifted, like... So why should they put themselves out or put mm-hmm. themselves in any kind of... Danger. Danger, like. It's not our business. That should be the, a lot of the thing. It's not our business, like. You see, down here is the community where she lived and, you know, the meetings and the whole lot and the pubs and everything else. It's all happened here, like. So it's here that the answers lie. So, yeah, like, we're now in 2021 and it's 21 years and even now, still Nicola, the hope is even stronger than ever before. Like, last Christmas we had a fantastic appeal in conjunction with the Gardaí and Crime Call and um, there's been new information as a result of that. And in this year as well, in recent weeks, we've had a couple of phone calls as well. So it just goes to show that our, our appeals and our our cries for help aren't fallen on deaf ears. And I really want to thank them people that did come forward in recent weeks. And I would sincerely thank them. And I'd also appeal to those people that are 
maybe listening today and a bit on the fence thinking, ah, it's not much point now, it's too long, it's, it's no point. I'd say, no, no, no. More than ever, now is your time to come forward because it's, we're really, we're getting closer to finding her and I don't think it's not if, it's when. And We'll never, ever give up hope. It's not a case of, oh, will you walk away? And like people have said to me, you must be exhausted with it. And we are. We would be lying if we said we weren't. We are exhausted with it. But the fight for her and getting her back means that much to us that we're going to 100% keep going and keep searching and keep hoping. And like Patrick said, it's great to think that nearly 21 years later, people are still coming forward with information and stuff. And like there's so many ways they can do it. They can ring us, they can write to us. There's an anonymous phone number. It's dedicated 24 hours a day. It's it's publicised all over. Um, it's not even based here in Mayo. It's nothing got to do with Mayo. It's nothing to do with the Gardaí. So all you have to do is ring that telephone number and there's a lady at the other end of it who's willing to talk to you day or night and just take to your details. You can do this. You really can. I mean, if you're sitting on the fence, you can do this. I know you can. You're, you know, your conscience has to let you do it eventually. For her sake, for ours, but for your own, to set yourself free. You know, don't don't carry this burden for anyone else is what I would say. I wouldn't... I wouldn't like to be in the person's shoes or anyone that's carrying secrets or holding back or anything like that. Don't kick the can down the road. Do it now. In 20 years, I wonder how many people have passed away and have wanted to say something and never got the chance to do it. Like, we're talking about two decades. I mean, just don't waste any more time. Enough time has been wasted. Enough stolen and enough opportunities and enough... enough Memories have been ripped from us, like, you know, come on, this is her community, or was supposed to be. This is where she belongs, and this is where the answers lie. She needs to come back here, and, the, you know, the ghost of her needs to be put to rest. It's all good and well saying, oh, we feel sorry for you and everything else like that. And that's fantastic, and that's fant- fabulous, but that's not enough. Feeling sorry for us is not enough. We need answers, and we need to get her back. Empty words are not of no comfort to us. What we want is action, as in stand up and this is where she is. Go and find her and live your lives. And we're really sorry for what happened. That's all I'd have to say about it. Listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free SundayWorld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.